Well, good morning. As Carmen said, my name is Mike Henson. I'm a member of the Catalyst team. And I'm really excited today to talk to you on Palm Sunday. It seems appropriate that the last week of our Go series falls on Palm Sunday. That video encapsulated part of it, but if you don't know what Palm Sunday is all about, it's the day that Jesus rode into town on a donkey, and the people came out from Jerusalem, and they laid their garments down on the, on the, on the ground, and they brought out palm branches and, and laid those down, and they, they yelled out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And I can picture these people running around Jer- Jerusalem telling each other, that Jesus had come, and having these great spiritual conversations. And that's what today is about, is spiritual conversations that we have with other people. I will ask that you keep your garments on during the message, though, even though it's Palm Sunday. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and get out your blue outline from your, from your bulletin. So this is our last week. And we're talking about the conversation. And in order to kind of get oriented for this message, I thought I'd like to get a worldly perspective on spiritual conversations. What do non-Christians think? What do they have to say about spiritual conversations? And so I came across this book. It's called Unchristian. And it's this huge study of those who would call themselves outsiders and their perceptions of Christianity. And what this study reveals is pretty alarming. Basically, it says that a majority of people interviewed wonder if Christians genuinely care about them at all. And one out of seven people interviewed said that they actually believed that Christianity was something genuine and real. One out of seven. And I... I was, I was taken aback by that, and I thought, how can I sort of encapsulate what this book is trying to say? And so I, I copied the Amazon book description, because I think they do a really good job of writing what this book is really trying to get across. It says, Christianity has an image problem. Christians are supposed to represent Christ to the world, but according to the latest report card, something has gone terribly wrong. Using descriptions like hypocritical, insensitive, and judgmental. Young Americans share an impression of Christians that's nothing short of unchristian. This is heavy stuff because we know that our intentions are good when we're having spiritual conversations, but clearly something isn't working because outsiders, people outside the church, are feeling targeted by us. And most of those interviewed questioned if Christians really want an authentic relationship with me or if they just want to convert me? Do they just want to get another get saved notch on their belt? And while we're trying to convey the most important message in history, the message that there is new life through faith in Christ, something's getting lost in translation. And I think it would be easy for us to think, how could this get lost in translation? I'm bringing a message of love and peace. I am bringing the best message that anyone has ever heard on earth. How could they not understand this? But really, we need to be a little more realistic here. Anyone who is here today and you're either married or in a committed relationship, hopefully if you're married, it is a committed relationship, but you know, I'm just making the distinction here. 
You've, you've heard this, guys, let me just throw out sort of a, a generic example here, okay? Can you say this with me, guys, when, when your wife comes out? Honey, does this dress make me look fat? You've heard this? Okay. Now, you are in a precarious situation here, okay? You can't say yes. Obvious, that's obvious. But you also can't just say no and, she, like, you know, newspaper and says, huh? No, no, it doesn't. You know, you can't just shrug it off because she knows you're just trying to appease her. So what do you do? Well, you have to engage, and you, and you need to say something that you think is going to help the situation. And so you say, no, honey. In fact, I think that dress really helps. <laughs> something gets lost in the translation with that. Now, if this can happen to the closest people to us about something so seemingly simple like, how do I look, then why do we assume that it won't happen with people who maybe aren't that close to us? When we're talking about things that are very complicated, like, what happens when I die? Who is this guy Jesus? Something will get lost in translation. And while there is merit to this perception that all Christians are worried about is converting people, we know the truth, right? We know that conversion alone, it can't possibly capture the gift of a life-changing journey with Christ when we personally surrender to him. And this month in our Go series, we've been talking about how do we help people on that life-changing journey. That's something we're big on here at Daybreak, is a life-changing journey. It's a whole life. How do we help people build these redemptive bridges that restore their relationship to God? How do we help people live out a better story? If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Joel talk about how God has a story and we're a part of it. And so today, to finish up the series, we're talking about the conversation. We just need to get practical. Look at our relationships in new terms, new ways to approach these conversations with people who we care about. Conversations that value people the way that God does. Conversations that are focused on an authentic love, a concern for others, in a word, conversations that are genuine. And so your first blank in your outline, if you've gotten it out, is that spiritual conversations take place when I notice where God is already at work. I notice where God is already at work. We live in this busy culture, and everything is moving so fast. And if we don't stop and pay a little more attention, it's so easy for us to miss what God is doing. And we're so focused with our own stuff that we can't see where God is moving in somebody else's life. And it's just kind of where we are. We have our iPads and our cell phones and our TVs and our computers. And if you're in my generation, you know how to use all of these things at the same time. And I am not even kidding. I can be typing for doing some grad work on my laptop, and I have my iPad right here on a stand playing an episode of The Office, and I have the Weather Channel going on the TV, and then I'm sending my wife a text. And it says, I'm bored. (laughs) 
And when we're that busy, we can't see how God is working around us. The problem is this lens of, well, I expect the world to look a certain way, and so that's how it looks. And if we're going to pay attention to what God is doing, we have to change that lens. We need a new way of looking at the world around us. A way of looking at the world a lot like the Apostle Philip did in Acts 8. And take a look at the passage you have there in your outline as I read it to you. As for, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, which is also Candace in some uh, translations, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. You know, when this angel appeared to Philip, he didn't have to know specifically why or how he was going down this road because Philip was already convinced that God was working in people's hearts. Philip believed that God was moving. All he had to do was go so that he could notice specifically where the work was being done. And Philip understood that God was not going to send him someplace where God wasn't already working. I mean, if we look at the text, it doesn't say that he stumbled upon an Ethiopian who was shining his shoes. Okay, it says he was reading the scripture. God was already working in this man's heart. And all Philip had to do was go and notice that. And I remember when I first read this story as I was preparing, I thought, yeah, but how could Philip have known that? But that's the whole point is he didn't know. He didn't know that it would be this specific guy. He was just told to go and notice. Keep a sharp eye. We have to believe that God is already at work in our culture, despite our busyness. It's easy to become convinced that in our society, people simply don't want to talk about these things. They don't want to talk about God And they don't want to talk about faith. And the statistics reveal that a large portion of people have been hurt by others they considered people of faith. And they become angry and guarded. And they don't want to talk about these things. Especially because they think that all they're going to get told is how they're wrong. And so they think, and rightly so, that Christians value being right more than being in a, a, just a good conversation that might lead to a relationship. And that's why we have to have faith in God's design for humanity. That we're designed to want to know him. If you look at this verse from Ecclesiastes, it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. Underline that or circle it, make it stand out. He's planted eternity in the human heart. It's already there. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God's at work because he's designed people to want to know him. And in this world of busyness and bad news, we bring good news. We bring the greatest news in the history of the world. This gospel, it's a story of, of restoration, reconciliation. And this story that the apostles told people that we're still telling people today, it's not about being saved from something. It's about being restored 
to someone. And God is at work in people's pain and their hurt and their brokenness. And there will be seasons where, like this Ethiopian in the story, we will see, we will notice their seeking. Sometimes it won't be so obvious. Sometimes it'll take a lot of conversations to build that trust before someone will let us peek into their desire for eternity. And in those conversations, we have to notice the things that we might ordinarily miss. The problem is we're creatures of habit. So I said earlier, it's about the lens. We expect to see things a certain way, and when they're not that way, we really don't see them. And so I was trying to think of an example in my own life of how I do this, and, and this, is, this is what happened to me just a few weeks ago. I like to use these. Anybody ever use these when they cook French's fried onions? They're really good. You, uh, you crumble them up, and you coat chicken with them, and then you bake the chicken. And then your wife does not kiss you the rest of the evening because you taste like onions. So they changed the packaging of these recently. It used to be this cylindrical canister that was, you know, like cardboard, and the colors were a little different. And so I went to buy some of these like two weeks ago, and I'm, I'm going to make this chicken, and I'm all excited, and I could not find them anywhere. And I'm meandering around the store, and finally I grabbed one of the kids who worked. I didn't grab them, but, you know, I, like, like, you know, I just said, hey— can you, sir, help me? Um, and I said, where are the French's fried onions? And he showed me, and they hadn't moved. They were in the exact same spot. And I was like, good, you know that. I work for the giant corporation, and I just wanted to test your knowledge of the store. Thank you. Um, but the thing was, you know, I walked by the shelf, and I looked up, and I was looking for, the, for that, that can. And when I didn't see the can, the round shape, I just kept walking. And I didn't go back and look at that spot. I just, I'm going to put these down. Now. I'm just I didn't go back and look at that spot. I just, I just kept walking. Like, so maybe they're with the cereal. People put onions on their cereal. I'm just, kind of, just wandering around the store. And the problem wasn't that I wasn't looking. The problem was that I was only looking for that which I expected to see. And we do this with God. How often do we miss God working because we're not looking for his work? Uh, this person I know, you know, they're not a believer. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. God's not working in their lives. I'm going to walk away. And then when God does start working in that person's life, you don't see it because you weren't looking for it. How convinced are we that God is in fact working? And how, how convinced are we that the, the people in, in our lives really are wanting eternity, and that maybe you are the person who's supposed to notice it. And we have to be careful because noticing God's work is crucial, but we don't want to stomp on those fears and hurts that people have gotten in the past. So then how do we follow Philip's example? Philip noticed that God was moving, but he also followed God's lead. And so in spiritual conversations, your second point is that they take place when I am sensitive to the Spirit's leading. I'm sensitive to the Spirit's leading. We're busy. I mean, I said that earlier, and, and Philip was busy too. If you look at the beginning of chapter 8, this guy was a mover and a shaker. He just had a lot of people to talk to and a lot of people to see, but somehow he found the way to stay sensitive to 
the leading of the Spirit. So how do we maintain that sensitivity? All right, I notice God's working here. Now what? And like Philip's story, we would love it if an angel would come down and just tell us, right? Okay, hey, this person over here across the hall from you at work, God's moving in their life. So I want you to go say this and take a cup of coffee, and then you're gonna, I'm going to tell you when to back up and, and stop talking. But it doesn't work that way. What we do have, though, instead of just this angel who comes and talks to us, is we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit that whispers like he did to Philip. Just walk over. I mean, look at what it says here. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Just go over. You know, a few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was working through a poetry unit with my students. I'm a, a high school English teacher. And we were working through my favorite poem of all time. It's called Death Be Not Proud. Has anybody ever read this poem? You. Okay, thank you. Good. She, she, she read it. So, we're working through this poem, and it's, my, it's this great poem. And John Donne, who's the poet, basically says, Death, don't be proud of yourself because I'm not scared of you. I don't think you're all that bad. I'm not afraid. It's an awesome poem. And so we did our analysis of the poem, and uh, one of my students at the end put their hand, and they said, Mr. Henson, are you afraid of death? And without thinking, I said, no, I'm, I'm really not. And then I moved on. I was like, okay, get out your vocab. We're going to do... And then another kid raised their hand and said, well, how come? I don't want to die. Why aren't you afraid of death? And I panicked a little bit. Because as a teacher, my school is a private school. It's a sort of a Judeo-Christian school. But it's really not my role to talk about religion with my students. That's not my job. And in that moment, I felt the Spirit say, Mike, just answer the question. Nobody's asking you to preach. You can just answer the question. And so I said, well, I, I'm not afraid of death because I think that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins. And because of that sacrifice, I, I believe I'll go to heaven when I die. And I'm like, oh man, the ball's going to drop now. And that kid who asked the question said, oh, okay, cool. Can I get a cap eraser for my pencil? And that was it. Like, that was... My big spiritual moment was ended, and I was like, no, get your own eraser. No, I gave her a cap eraser. <laughs> I gave her one. It was pink. <laughs> but, you know, the ultimate goal here, it's not to have as many spiritual conversations as we can. And it's also not to make sure that every spiritual conversation is this deep, life-altering moment where tears are just drawn and people are slain in the spirit. I mean, it's really just a matter of being sensitive to where the Spirit's leading you. Whether the Spirit's telling you, you know what, go ahead and approach spirituality in this conversation. This is a good time. Or maybe the Spirit's telling you, you know, not right now. This isn't the right time for this. And I think for me in that moment, it was sort of this amalgam of the two where it was, you know what, Mike, you can answer the question and be honest, but then this is, the, this is not the time for you to keep going. And really the ultimate goal as we continue to become sensitive to the Spirit, is to live out this verse from Galatians. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And for those of you who love Jesus, for those of you who have made a decision to follow Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So how do we create this sensitivity to God's Spirit such that we can live by the Spirit in every part of our lives? 
I think there are two kind of practical steps that I'm going to give you if you want to jot these down. The first one is prayer. We have to engage in prayer. We have to take time to quiet the noise in our hearts so that we can listen to what God is trying to say to us. And there's a lot of power in praying for the people around you and the people who maybe you haven't even met yet, but who you're going to encounter in the future. And when you're willing to pray daily for someone, God moves in your heart to help you love them better. You become more aware of how God is working to draw that person closer to him. And I would say to just set up some sort of practical reminder to do that. And for me, and this might sound kind of weird, but it's, it, it works for me, is every morning when I shave, I pray. Not out loud, because that would make it difficult to shave. But in my head, I silently, while I'm shaving, I, if I shave, I think, okay, time to pray. And that's just sort of my reminder to myself. And whatever, you know, pick, pick something. Maybe it's you write that person's name down on a piece of paper, and you put it somewhere in your house, so that everywhere that you see it, every time that you see it, you think to pray for them. If they're going to come over, though, remove the piece of paper. And that way it's not, why is there a picture and a, like a headshot and my name on your dining room table? We just really like you a lot. We, just... we have to pray. But prayer, these conversations that we have with God, come with another step. And this is the second part of this. The sensitivity comes when we learn how to listen. This is a lost art in our society. We are simply not a people who like to listen. But when we become better listeners to God's Spirit, we become better listeners to other people. Listening is a true gift of love to someone else, whether it be you listening to God or you listening to someone you're talking with. And being sensitive to God's Spirit's leading means understanding that spiritual conversations, when I'm talking to someone about spiritual issues, they're not monologues. It's not I talk and they listen and that's it. They're dialogues. It's a back and forth. David Augsburger is this uh, Christian author, and I put this quote from one of his books in, in your outline. It says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable. When we listen we create this environment where two conversations take place. The physical conversation that I'm having with a person and then the spiritual conversation internally that I'm having with God at the same time as he guides me in what to say and what to not say. And we have to cultivate this skill. Listen to God. Listen to others. And by doing so, we allow spiritual conversations to take place. And you know what? Maybe you're not at this point yet. Maybe you don't even want to do these things. And so maybe your prayer has to start like this. God, I don't want to pray for that guy at work who doesn't know you. I don't really like him, and I don't want to pray for him. Would you give me a desire to pray for this person? Because maybe you don't even want to do that yet. God, I don't want to listen to what it is that you're trying to tell me. I know that you're speaking to me right now, but I don't want to listen. I'm actively ignoring you. Would you take that away from me? Give me the desire to listen to you. When I've fallen astray, that's often my prayer. God, I'm not, I'm not wanting to listen to you right now. Would you bring me back? 
Give me the desire to be close and to listen to your spirit. I want to I try this right now. I want to give this a shot. Every, tell you, everybody get your Reach 2 card out of your bulletin. It's an orange card. It looks like this. This is a really simple card. It's just two lines here, helping two people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus. And I want to try a little bit of listening right now. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take maybe 15 or 20 seconds for us to just sit in silence. And I would encourage you to just close your eyes and listen. And see if the Spirit's laying any names on your heart of two people or one person who you would like to see God effect. And so, as we take a minute of silence here, let's, let's jot a name down. Let's, let's just close our eyes and take a couple seconds to listen to the Spirit. Hopefully you have a name that you can write on that card. You see, when we notice God working in a person's life, and we become sensitive to the Spirit's leading in terms of our role in that, we start to see our time with that person as something more than a sales call. We start to value what Philip valued, and ultimately what Jesus valued. We value the person. And so spiritual conversations take place, our last blank in the outline, when we value conversation, not just conversion. We have to value the actual conversation. Helping people on this life-changing journey with Jesus, it's not about converting them. It's about allowing God to convert their thinking and convert their allegiance from themselves to Jesus. And it's important for us to remember that conversion is God's work, not mine. Simply put, somebody else's faith isn't my responsibility. I'm going to say that again. Someone else's faith is not my responsibility. Because too often, these evangelism conversations that we have have these short-sighted goals, and they're in too much of a hurry. When I was, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I got really heavily invested into apologetics. And apologetics is this skill of trying to defend your faith. And I just read everything that I could about defending the Christian faith. And there was this guy down the hall from me, his name was Gabriel, and he was not a believer, and he knew that I was. And Gabe came down to my room the one day, and he said, Hey man, I know you like talking about this stuff, and I know you like reading about it. Tell me about this Christian stuff. My family goes, I don't. I have questions. And so we talked. Gabe and I talked for three hours straight. 
in the course of that conversation, there were one or two times where he stopped me and he said, you know what, this is getting a little heavy, man. Why don't we talk about this tomorrow? I, I kind of need to just go back to my room and process. But I pushed and I was like, no, Gabe, really, this is a great conversation. Come on, let's, let's stay with it. You have good questions and I have some great answers for you. Let's, let's do this. And at the end of that three hours, Gabe said, all right, I'm ready. I want to pray the prayer. And Gabe prayed and asked Jesus into his heart. And I said, okay, man, here's what we do next. We do this thing, it's called discipleship, where every, you know, once a week, sometimes maybe twice if we can, we're going to get together and we're going to read the Bible and look at Scripture and talk about your personal development and pray. And within three weeks, Gabe walked away. I mean, we sat down and he said, you know, man, I just, this is too much. I said, Mike, I really feel like you kind of, push this on me a lot, and I, didn't, I don't understand all of it, and I just need time, but you want to dive right into this right now, and I'm not ready for all this. Gabe was four rooms down from me on our hallway. I did not see him again for four years, and I've never seen him since. And the problem is that I thought that if Gabe didn't accept Christ that day that he came to my room that I wouldn't have done my job. And I thought, well, his faith, since he's coming to me, it's clearly my responsibility. And when I took all of that on my shoulders, I squashed it. God will do the work, not you. It's not your job to convert people. And so long as we're embracing this paradigm that conversion is the work of God and not us, Then let's talk about the actual conversation. I'm going to give you two pointers here that I think will factor into when you actually sit down and have that conversation. And the first thing is, we have to watch our language. And by that, what I don't mean is, don't swear. Okay? Don't swear. That's, you shouldn't do that. But that's not what I mean. What I mean is, in our 20th century Christian vernacular, we often lack accessibility. And so we end up sounding like these guys. Okay, watch up at the screens here. Bless his heart. You think he's backsliding? I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's The Fish? 104.3, The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's just not enough meat, you know? Are they non-denom? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. I've been struggling with that. 
So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. You need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah. It paints a picture, doesn't it? But can I add one to the, to the list, one that wasn't on the video? When did Christians add the word on to the word love? You know what I'm talking about? Man, we're going to go to Cambodia and we are just going to love on people. What? That sounds horrible for everyone involved. We're going to love on people. No, don't. Uh, I, was, I was preparing this with Sean, Pastor Sean, speaking at the other campus today, and I brought this up, and he was like, yeah, that kind of does sound weird when you say it. And then like five minutes later, we were talking about something else. He was like, you know, man, we just got to love on people. And I was like, is that what we need to do, Sean? He said, oh, man, I said it, didn't I? <laughs> so gross. <laughs> What's that like for the Cambodians? Christians are coming. They're going to try and love on us. <laughs> you see, what we say, it reflects something to other people about what we really believe. And so when we say these things like, accept Jesus, make a decision for Christ. Are you saved? Are you secular? These things don't really paint a picture of a lifelong, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that's our goal. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with saying some of these things that these guys said in the video. My point is that you have to be aware of your audience. Because your audience doesn't want to think that you're just trying to get someone else to join the club. And I want to I add a kind of a personal note here to my generation. I'm 26, and so if you're in my generation, listen to this. And if you're older than us, you, you, can just, you can just have a moment to yourself here. Okay? I don't know, whatever it is you guys do in the generation. There might be an AARP magazine flowing around here somewhere. All right. Just, oh, too much, too soon for an AARP joke? It's too soon. All right. Here's the point that I want to make to my generation. We don't have to try so hard to make Christianity cool. It's already cool. We don't have to add this hipster kind of idea to Jesus. Christianity became cool a long time ago. It became cool when Jesus walked on water. That was the coolest moment in history. That was the origination of cool. I can see the disciples sitting in the boat and be like, is he walking on the water, dude? Yeah, that's cool. What do you mean cool? I don't know. I just said it. It's cool. We don't have to sell it. It was cool then. It was cool when Shakespeare was writing his plays 400 years ago, that Christianity was cool then. Christianity was cool in the 70s, and nothing was cool in the 70s except Christianity. We don't have to try so hard to make it cool. Philip's conversation, it didn't revolve around everything Philip had to say. It didn't revolve around his ultra-Christian language. And it didn't revolve around his showing the Ethiopian a new Bible app on his MacBook. He wasn't selling it. He just went up and, and he asked the guy a question. 
It says he ran over, he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? He didn't walk up and say, are you saved? Are you secular? He said, hey man, what, what's that book all about that you're reading? Do you, do you know what that's all about? And that's the other practical tip I want to give you is that we, we have to watch our language, but we also have to embrace the questions. Spiritual conversations are most helpful to other people when we just help them wonder about things. And in most of our conversations, it's our questions that are more valuable than our answers. I said earlier that when I was in college, I got really heavily uh, invested in apologetics. I loved it. And man, I just had a Christian answer for everything. I loved it because I could win any argument. You brought out evolution. I could walk you through Genesis and tell you how it all made sense with creationism. You brought out uh, the Big Bang Theory. I would use the conservation of angular momentum. Physics. Get off me. I'm going to win this debate. I'm, a, I'm all about apologetics, man. And I've been cursed with this horrible, uh, very vivid memory that I can remember pretty much every single spiritual conversation I had in that four-year period where I would say that I won that conversation. But guess how many of those people I keep in contact with today? None of them. Because what I essentially convinced those people was that my having the answers and being right was more important than my ability to simply question things with them. It's not our answers that help people. It's our ability to question with them. Say, yeah, I don't know. What do you think that means? See, the work of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not as fast as we'd like it to be all the time. It's more like a controlled burn. You know, in my school, we have these tall grasses, big fields of tall grasses. And every year, they take the biology students out and teach them how to do a controlled burn. They light the fields on fire, and they slowly burn them down. And I was talking to one of the bio teachers two weeks ago when they were getting ready to do this. And I said, what's the problem if we just doused the field with gasoline and just exploded it? I mean, really, aside from it'd be a little dangerous and it might make a big mess, wouldn't it be a lot faster to just blow it up? And the kids would love that. And his answer was just profound. He said, well, the problem is that the gasoline, you know, the mess, we're not worried about the mess. That would blow away. So, but the gasoline would destroy the soil. So he said, rushing the process like that, the next time that those tall grasses would try to take root, they couldn't. Because the foundation would be ruined. I'm still learning now how to be okay with a controlled burn, with yielding to the pace of the Spirit. We don't have to have all the answers. What if the next time you were in a spiritual conversation, you just threw a verse out and asked the person what they thought it meant? I put a, a verse that we all know, just to give you an example, John 3.16. This is a verse that every one of us can quote probably from memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, we all know this, right? And this is a verse that we use in spiritual conversation. We say, well, you know, I believe what it says in John 3.16, that for God so loved the world. But what if we did it like this? It's so simple, but what if we just said, you know that verse that Christians throw out? What does that mean to you? Because it can be kind of harsh. I mean, it says whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life, but that's heavy stuff. How does that make you feel? 
What do you think it means? What if we just entered into wondering with people about spiritual things instead of saying, here's what this verse means. Let me teach you. Restoring people to be a part of God's family, it's more than about you always knowing what to say. Because falling in love with Jesus takes time. It takes an intentional investment, sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit, and a lot of valued conversations. And they're a gift. These conversations are a gift from God to us. And we have to trust that God is working around us, and that if we look, we will notice it. We have to make room in our lives to listen to the Spirit's leading. So I want to ask you right now, if you're too busy, if you're a busy person, just a busy body, always moving around, are, how, how busy are you? Are you so busy that you're not noticing how God is working in the lives of those around you? Or if you're a talker and not a listener, is there somebody in your life who right now you simply need to listen to? Are you praying for them? Are you asking God to lead you in your interactions with that person? And to the zealot, the person who's just more concerned with conversion than conversation, who has God put in your life with whom you just need to be more intentional without being forceful? And maybe invite them just to grab a coffee or to get lunch before you invite them to church. You know, on your Reach 2 cards, hopefully you wrote a name or two And I want to invite you to pray for those people just today. Pray for those names. Pray for these people. And maybe when you see them next, maybe you're ready. Maybe you want to get out this grace invite uh, in your bulletin that's an invite to our Easter service and say, hey man, we've been having some good conversations. I wanted to give you this. We have some free food and some jam and music and we're going to celebrate Easter. We'd, We'd love to have you come out. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you just need to start by praying for them. Either way, my hope today is that you will begin to notice where God is working, that you'll listen to his spirit and value every conversation that you have with those around you. I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray, I want to encourage you to get your response card out of your bulletin and just record anything that you feel God's laid on your heart today. And if you feel like you need more prayer, this is something you want to pray through or pray about or get prayed for, if you go out these doors over our next couple songs and down the left-hand corridor here, there's a, a green room back there where we have prayer partners who are ready to pray for you and with you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, we confess that We just don't always see where you're working. We don't notice the things that you're doing because we don't expect to notice them, God. Lord, would you teach us this week to look for the ways in which you work? Would you teach us to listen and to pray, to be open to the way in which you are leading us, and in that way, hopefully, we can become better listeners to the people around us, people who who take in what others say. God, we need to value conversations as we understand that conversion is your work. It's your job. It's not ours. And that other people's faith are not my responsibility, God. That's on you. Be with us this week. Teach us to pray. Teach us to love people as you do.
We ask it in your name. Amen.